Jollyville. Thank you for tuning in. I'm sportscaster Carrie Gardner, broadcasting live from the Purple Street Studios in beautiful downtown Jollyville. In this episode, Paul Fredrickson talks with the caller about ceramic tiles and trendy styles. And Uncle Asar interviews Kimberly Mullinex about the Appalachian Irish Dance Company in Tennessee. But first, we have a special update about the mysterious cats found around Jollyville. If you tuned in to Spoopy the Boop and Chauncey in the morning earlier this week, you'll remember that at 3.30 a.m. on the night before the full moon, a disturbance was reported at the Santa Fe Inn in Jollyville. With an update on the situation, we turn to Julia Stonewash, our investigative reporter who continues to follow this mysterious story. officers arrived on the scene, it appeared that the owner and a handful of exotic Himalayan and Persian cats had disappeared from the town of Jollyville without a scat of evidence. All that seems to be left are a few remains of destroyed cat collars here and there, some empty food bowls, a couple of litter boxes, and a vacant, newly renovated Santa Fe Inn. Any further information from the police? Like, were there any missing person reports filed? Here's what we have so far. It appears that the owner of the Santa Fe Inn, Mr. Jean Le Sari, was a distant relative of Harry Lachat. It's unclear what the motive was or why the cats were spying. It was very clear that someone wanted those cats to skedaddle out of town, and quickly. Did Le Sari work on his own, or was he in cahoots with someone to spy on the Fertilla operation? We may never know, but this reporter will keep digging in the litter for more answers. What about all the cats with collars that used to live at the Santa Fe Inn? The good news is that many of those cats were adopted out after the bubble bath factory explosion and that all of the homes are very happy with their adopted fur babies, especially after their collars were removed. The site of the old Santa Fe Inn is completely vacated and all the cat collars have vanished into thin air. Were the cats with collars part of that cat rental business? This reporter went to the offices of Kitties to Cuddle, and there is no sign that that business has ever existed. A very perplexing situation. All I know is this is another mystery to be chewed up, meowed over, and hairballed in return. Back to you, Carrie. Very perplexing indeed. We shall see how many of the nine lives the spy cats have left for the future. We'll be back right after these messages. Glistening, frothy, effervescent, announcing the all-new line of luxury dish soap by the designer Robert Cheerful. Mysterious damage to your adored accordion? Stair mishap with your treasured trombone. Don't despair. At Rogue Repair in St. Paul, Minnesota, we've got the know-how and experience to bring those treasured musical instruments back better than new. No job is too big or too small. We can handle any instrument, even those bagpipes you were taking to the hazardous waste facility. If you're a frugal musician, come find Rogue Repair in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the best instrument repair shop in Minnesota. 
Rogue Repair. Kimberly Mullinex from Appalachian Irish Dance Company. You're listening to Jollyville Radio on KJVR. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Better Call Paul. If you have a DIY problem, you can call Paul, the handyman and relationship coach you can trust. Howdy, folks. Today, Paul... We have a call from Chippy Klazowski from Jollyville. She's asking a question about tiles and styles. Hi, Chippy. How can I help? Hey, Paul. Well, I'm going to be redoing my kitchen, you know, and I'm just so stuck on where to begin. I, I want a farmhouse-style kitchen, but also a modern Swiss look. I really like those hardwood floors that are all kind of zigzaggy in their pattern, but I think hexagonal tile would also look good. So can I have a hexagonal tile on the floor and a rectangular tile on the wall? Sounds like you have a lot of competing design ideas. Yeah. I mean, at one point, I was so desperate to get started, I just bought stuff I liked. So I just got color-changing LED light strips and uh, one of those baskets with fake lemons. I see. So that's why your roommate told you to return them and call into my show. Oh, uh. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, here we are. Well, Chippy, style is really up to the individual. Some folks have a talent of taking different styles and mixing them in a very appealing manner. Other times, it helps to have a picture of a dream kitchen and work towards that. But it seems like you're at a crossroads of committing to any one style. Tell me, Chippy, how do you work through writer's block? Uh, what's that? Writer's block. You write the Sisters of Salem soap segment for the paper, right? The witch romance drama. When you sit down to write, how do you get over writer's block? Oh, so you're a fan. Not exactly. Oh, well, uh, geez, writer's block usually takes me a minute. I kind of stop by writing a few things, you know? A few random plots, some, some thought starters. I don't know. I just stop playing around with anything until something sticks. After that, I can get this motivating feeling that my idea can just write itself, you know? Sounds a lot like how this show is written. Hey, are you trying to say that my writer's block is like my kitchen remodeling? Now we are having a breakthrough. Yes. While you might not know where to go with your style, you are, as you say, playing around and looking for something that sticks. I agree with your roommate that color-changing LED light strips and a basket of fake lemons are bad choices, but at least you're figuring that out. Yeah, but why are they bad? You don't take a harvest to a nightclub, Chippy. Yeah, okay then. Try committing to one style and feel out if it's right or wrong. Visit a few showroom kitchens and also try visualizing what's right for the kitchen that's been designed for your house. If all else fails, the best thing you can do is admit you're stuck and take the journey of being stuck. You may be surprised how you can find your way when you have no way at all. You may find a kitchen that builds itself. Wow, that's really helpful. 
So keep the price tags on everything. Uh, just writing this down. Thanks, Paul. I may make a segment out this, like uh, which wand woes. Get it? Which? You get it, Paul? You get it? Thank you, Chippy Klazowski, for your call. <laughs> yeah, but do you get it, Paul? If you have construction conundrums, DIY IDKs, or if you are just suffering from writer's block, then you better call Paul, the handyman and relationship coach you can trust. You know Jollyville is made up of a broad variety of folks, each with their own style. It's important for both the individuals and the community to be celebrated in harmony. That's why I'm running for mayor of Jollyville. Vote for me, Paul Fredrickson. This message was approved by Paul Fredrickson and paid for by Paul's dad. Jollyville Radio sends a shout out to Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth. Jollyville Radio sends a shout out to Elizabeth. <laughs> then I have to get back up to, the, to another T. <laughs> Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Jollyville Radio sends a shout out to Elizabeth, Tennessee. Population 13,577. How y'all doing? <laughs> <clears throat> Broadcasting live in three, two, one. This is Jollyville Community Beat with Uncle Asar turning the spotlight on good people doing great work in the real world. Put on your dancing shoes and shake what your mama gave you. We're getting down in the Jollyville Radio Purple Street Studio with Kimberly Mullenix, director and instructor at the Appalachian Irish Dance Company, a traditional Irish dance group offering instruction and performance opportunities for ages five and up, holding classes in the Watts Dance Studio, 603 Ray Street in Elizabethan, Tennessee. Kimberly Mullenix, welcome to Community Beat. Thank you so much. I think I got through that pretty good with the Elizabethan, Tennessee. Was- you did. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Kimberly, I admit I don't know much about Irish dance beyond uh, Michael Flatley and other videos like that, clips and things, but I like it a lot. And if I were 30 pounds lighter and 30 years younger, I think I'd give it a try. What do you think? Now, see, I I don't think weight or age is an issue. Um, I actually was on an adult team when I still lived in Boston that won a national championship and I was 44 at the time. And I was not the oldest person on the team. Right. You, um, Irish dance. Can you describe it for us and, and tell us what sets it apart from? Uh, yeah. Uh, when you see Irish dancing, uh, I think most notably everyone comments on the arms or the lack of using the arms. Uh, but it's done in a lot of familiar dance positions in the sense of, um, a ballet fifth position, sometimes a first position. It is danced on the toes. We don't use our heels except when we use hard shoes, which are the ones that make all the noise, which Michael Flatley is known for. Um, but it is a, a dance that had a really humble beginning. And when you see it now and the costumes are like two, three, four thousand dollars um, brand new with the rhinestones. <laughs> you have to kind of question, you know, how far it's gotten off track. But tradition wise, 
it's something you'll see generations of family to have been Irish dancing. Now, you mentioned that uh, you started as an adult Irish dancing back in Boston. And since then, you've taught in Savannah, Georgia, Charleston, South Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida. Tell us about that journey. Um, it's been a fun one. I started, uh, well, I had moved to Boston in the early 90s. And I, first time I saw Irish dance, I fell in love with it. I mean, I just loved it. I feel like I knew it. And I went up to the teacher who was probably in her seventies and said, uh, oh my goodness, do you, do you offer classes to adults? And she said, no, and walked off (laughs) and I was gobsmacked and I stood there for a second and then I kind of tucked my tail and walked off. And it took me a few months, but I finally found some people who were willing to teach adults. And uh, the first person I danced with um, is Sheila Bremer, who's an adjudicator out of Boston, Mass. And um, Sheila looked at me and said, why don't you come dance with me? We both live in the same town. I said, "Okay, do you have adult classes? She goes, no, just dance with the kids. So I started dancing with the kids. And as time went on, um, Irish dance became my world. I left a salaried job to teach Irish dance. And um, then I went through a divorce, as some people do, and I kind of felt the call to come back south. I loved, I had made family out of my dancers and their families and my friends, but I wanted to come back south. And when I moved south, I moved to the Savannah area and met Abby and Brent Woods. And they said, I said, I just want to dance. Do you have any openings? And they were like, "Uh, we need a teacher. I went, okay, well, then I'll help. So that's how I ended up on that journey. And they covered Savannah, Jacksonville, Charleston, and at one point, Augusta. So I I would drive over two hours, maybe three, to teach classes for four hours and then drive home. So you're really dedicated to this thing. I see that you 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 uh, lived an incredible life moving around and teaching dance. That's incredible. And in the Elizabethan area, and I'm trying it again. I hope I got it right. You got it. <laughs> There's a rich heritage of Scots and Irish culture. Uh, when you teach dance, you teach more than, than movement. You talk about historical significance of technique, costumes, and music. Is that how you strengthen, help to strengthen the uh, uh, Irish dancing community? It is. Um, this is an area that has not really had a lot of Irish dance, but we do have a, a Scots-Irish community, as we call it, Scotch-Irish. That's a very Northeast Tennessee, Western North Carolina way of referring to them. But um, there is an absolute connection culturally to Irish history. And um, like my grandfather's family were Ulster Scots and came over 100 million years ago. Um, when this was land grants in these mountains. And so the idea of coming home and teaching something that still had a, a connection to me like that meant a lot for this area. So when I go in and teach, I'm not just teaching about the dance. I think it's really important. I mean, you know, dance technique is great. Learning everything is great. But learning about the history, you know, um, I put all of our beginner dancers started out with crochet collars on their costumes. Well, Irish lace was very, very popular. And during the Irish famine, that is how many families made their money. That little bit of money they got, they made from crocheting Irish lace. And it's a tribute to those folks. Um, Understanding where the lack of arms 
historically have been suggested that they came from. Um, you know, it's up in the air. No one really knows why the Irish don't use their arms, but there's a lot of speculation during the, you know, occupation of, of Ireland that when they took away the language and the culture, the music, the dance, that if you could look as if you were just walking through your house while you were dancing, that they couldn't catch you. They wouldn't Thank you, I <laughs> He was agreed. <laughs> go ahead I'm, I'm sorry go ahead that's okay so you know because if you were caught I mean you were most likely imprisoned um it was not a great life and I think a lot of folks come to know Irish dance through River Dance or Lord of the Dance which was amazing I mean that was great it, it branched out for a whole world to understand it I mean you'll see schools in Germany you see schools in Norway I mean it, it's all over Europe. I mean, you see dancers from all walks of life, which I think is beautiful. You don't have to be Irish to love Irish dance or do Irish dance. You just have to have it in your heart. You know, I think I'm, I think I'm going to take that Irish dance class because I am fascinated by the history lesson that you're giving us today on Jollyville Radio Community Beat. And, you know, just between you and I, we won't tell the listeners, but I'm sipping on scotch as I do this, conduct this interview with you. So there's a connection. I saw that. <laughs> there's a connection. I saw that. What you can see or hear is that I am enjoying a lovely glass of Pinot Grigio while we have this interview. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you got, Michael. I see that. <laughs> So, so you did mention that you are an uh, Irish dance champion. Our, our Jollyville Community Beat investigators did report that back to us, and I was going to ask you about it. You want to talk about that? Um, you know, I came to Irish dancing late in life, um, and it was a little too late for me to really jump off into that world. But I was, I was always a, I placed well. I was on a lot of teams that that won both our regional championships than our nationals. We competed in Ireland. Um, and, and with my solo dancing, I thought about, you know, you could use that opportunity to go dance with those kids, but I don't know. It just felt awkward for me at the time. But when I did do it, I placed very well. There is now an entire world that's opened up for the adults that is amazing. I mean, they, have, they can go out and compete just like everyone else. When initially, you know, this was something that was just kind of there for the kids, but historically it was actually an adult type of dance, which I find fascinating um, that it's turned, you know, around in the years. But I mean, I did, I have a million medals and I have never, ever gotten rid of one of them. <laughs> Nothing vain so about that. Right. You, you said uh, late in life, but at the same time, young at heart. That's all that matters, right? Very much so, because uh, if, you say, if you're saying I can start dancing at, you know, the weight that I am and the age that I am, then, you know, we can talk about being young at heart. Have to be. No way. I missed your age. Sorry. How much? How old? All right. Kimberly. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I have a, I have a birthday tomorrow and I'm not in any way for it, but we're going to go forth with something. <laughs> Happy birthday, dude! Thank you, and that's, hey, that's that is wonderful coming from you. And I'm I'm looking for a bottle of single malt scotch or Irish whiskey in the mail tomorrow. Uh, 
I will send you some old granddad tomorrow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Kimberly, does uh, Appalachian Irish Dance Company have a presence on the on the Internet? Um, on social media right now. We have not developed a web- website yet. We're only a little over three months old. And what these kids have accomplished in three months, I, I mean, and I will say I've loved every dancer I've taught and I've had some amazing competitive dancers, but these are the fastest learners I have ever seen. And these kids have just committed 110%. And so you can find us on Facebook um, at Appalachian Irish Dance Company. And you can find us on Instagram as at App Irish Dance Co. Kimberly Mullenix, this has been a great story for us here at Jollyville Community Beat. It's the type of thing we're looking for. And we wish you the best of the best. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Jollyville Community Beat with Uncle Lassar and Dig This. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Peace. These episodes of Jollyville Radio were created by Uncle Asara Kebulon, Emily Antonick, Michael Crosa, Michelle Darcy, Jamie Davis, Richard Dayrees, Brian Green, Pilar Kep, Zach Cornish, Robert Leary, Thomas Schlitt, J.B. Skrilla, K.Y.'s Denty, and Elijah York. Special thanks to Bob Don of Bob Short Story Hour and Hidden Oaks Podcast, and Antonio Delgado of the band O Antonio and his imaginary friends. Direction and music by Michael Crosa with editing help by Richard Davies and social media help from Emily Ansonet. The recording was made in accordance with social distancing. Jollyville Radio is a product of Jollyville Brass Quintet, member of Austin Creative Alliance, and the Pizza Rice Podcasting Collaborative. We are based in Austin, Texas. If you're enjoying Jollyville Radio, consider supporting us with a monthly pledge. You can get fun prizes depending on your donation level. Just go to patreon.com backslash Jollyville Radio. You can also support Jollyville by buying a sticker from our website, leaving a review or comment on your podcast platform of choice, or by sharing Jollyville Radio with a friend. The credits were read by the writers of episodes 222 through 225. They are Uncle Asar Akabalon, Emily Ansonek, Michael Crosa, Brian Green, Pilar Kep, and KY's Denti. We'll see you next time on Jollyville Radio. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.